You're listening to an Empavillion podcast. Conversations about design and the world we live in. For more, visit our archive at empavillion.org and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. Good evening, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for coming this evening. Um, I'd like to start by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which we live. We acknowledge them, the traditional owners, as uh, lands and waters, their traditions, and their... Future Homes is a joint government initiative bringing together the Department of Environment, Land, Water, and Planning with the Office of the Victorian Government Architect. With planning and design working together, Future Homes aims to facilitate better density developments in the suburbs. The first stage of the project achieves this through readily available, high-quality apartment plans paired with a streamlined planning process, and more of that later. The Future Homes competition was announced at the M Pavilion in February 2020. Uh, it feels like a long time ago, but it was two years ago. We've all been through a lot since then. Um, we're here to see the first public unveiling of the design evolution of the four winning schemes. Four competition ideas turned into viable apartment developments for the suburbs. The four architect teams will present their design process and plans, followed by a panel discussion exploring the challenges of balancing how to deliver viable and excellent housing for more people. I'd like to introduce Jill Garner. She is the Government Architect of Victoria and Director of Garner Davis Architects. Jill Garner. Thanks, Andrew. Um, Welcome everyone. Um, working with the Department of Planning over the past few years on the better apartment standards, um, the Office of the Victorian Government Architect collected a lot of research that demonstrated what people really care about in their homes. And the research we collected showed us that there were some really core attributes that people really want. They want sun, performance and sustainability. They want privacy and protection from noise. They want flexibility and adaptability, and they would like safety. Without some or all of these attributes, we risk building undesirable housing, which simply results in significant costs to the householder, to society, to the economy, and to the environment. So the concept for future homes arose because it seemed essential to do density better, to offer the attributes that people really do want more convincingly, more attractively, and in the places where people really do want to live. With Melbourne's population anticipated to double by 2050, we need to be smarter about how we use the space and the services that we already have. Otherwise, simple maths says that we need to double the footprint and the infrastructure of our existing city. So the vision for future homes was to showcase how the perceived shortfalls of apartment living might be addressed through excellent design. Our brief asked for designs to demonstrate denser homes, 
with the qualities that people really want. So we identified three major aspirations. First, design us a great home. We saw family-friendly apartments as a core aim of the project. We worked closely with a team of academics to grow. We embeing levels of mobility into every design. And so every apartment exceeds current accessibility standards. This means that apartments are easier to move around in, they can change over time, and they allow residents to age in place. The last couple of years has proven how important flexibility of space is in the places that we live. So we looked for apartments to have spaces that might be easily adapted for working or studying from home. And we also saw choice in apartments to be a very important consideration. So all of the future homes exemplars have a range of apartment sizes and they can be further adapted for different sites and different requirements. Our second uh, aspiration embedded in the competition was designed to be a great neighbour. And we mandated deep soil planting, deep soil areas, gardens into the planning rules. This means that buildings can be surrounded by vegetation and can therefore make a positive contribution to the street and to obviously contribute to the aesthetic value and the heat island effect of their locale. We also required communal and shared spaces to be included in every design. So residents can enjoy outdoor spaces and have really good access to fresh air. Our third competition aspiration was designed to be a great citizen. And looking forward mind in all of the future homes to exceed current sustainability performance requirements, meaning that homes are comfortable to live in, they're cheaper to run, and ultimately better for the planet. So before handing to the design teams who are going to present their designs, I'd actually like to take just a few minutes, or not a few minutes, a few seconds, to acknowledge the incredible partnership that we've had with DELP, the Department of Planning, over the last couple of years. I wanted to say thank you to all of those involved who have accepted, I think, what was our challenge, to step up as partners in the ambition to find a housing model that might just change the way that our community sees the great Australian dream. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> so tonight we're going to try uh, and achieve the impossible, which is to say um, four teams that have worked uh, for nearly two years developing uh, their, their designs, a huge amount of work, thousands of hours, and we've given them all about seven to eight minutes each to present that. So um, it's a very demanding task, but we're hoping they will achieve that. In order to, I guess, uh, to uh, frame those few minutes, we've asked each team to talk about the original competition winning scheme, um, the work that, un that they undertook uh, in the time following that to adapt that and create these exemplars, and essentially what they've learned on that journey. So um, first up, we have Angelica Rojas and Marcus Rubelos from Include Design. Please uh, welcome you to come up and present your scheme. Hello. To be here. Um, we will be presenting Exemplar A, uh, which has been co-created between um, Include Design, our practice, and Design Strategy Architecture. I'm Marco Cubilos, uh, co-director of Include Design. 
um, based on the objectives from the future homes, we understood from the very beginning that uh, we not only needed to provide a building, that we needed to provide a system. And with that system thinking in mind, uh, we named our project with this fancy name as Integrate Cluster Courtyard Living Model. We didn't take these three words for granted, and we embedded really well in our project, community relationships and home. And in tandem with the objectives from the Future Homes uh, program, we developed a series of uh, principles, 10 principles, and I will expand on them briefly, some of them, few of them. So the first principle is a place to share. Um, a place to share that foster communities uh, based on uh, three key components. Um, a courtyard, which is the heart of the project, a welcoming threshold, and a strategically located communal stair. Uh, this multi-purpose courtyard will uh, dwell or has the opportunity to dwell different activities. And, and we see uh, this courtyard as a, as a shared space that carefully craft, will craft um, and will integrate within the, the, the development activities and meaningful connections between the residents and the, and the wider community. And that's why we propose this welcome and entry, um, as well as the stairs that are, um, stairs are um, providing a circulation to connect throughout the, the project, but also uh, foster uh, spontaneous encounters between the residents. And this is, the, this is the vision from the design competition, as uh, some of you may know. So in order to respond to a sightless design approach, we needed to be adaptable to context. And how you are adaptable to context? By integrating the elements that previously I mentioned. And, and, and by, with that system, the system is capable to respond to different uh, contexts and different conditions, where you have a busy road or a local street, different scenarios that we tested throughout the, the, the the stages of the competitions are the refinement of the design. Also, you need to be a good neighbor, as Jill Garner was, was mentioning, and you, you achieve this through providing a, a, a good scale and, and a sensitive interface to the adjoining properties. So we provide soft edges around the, around the project to re enrich the experience of the neighbors. And, and also, uh, the system is not just replicable and adaptable has the, the opportunity to be expanded, uh, whether you, you have two or three sites or four sites, can be expanded without compromising the, the key elements of the design. We are providing comfortable and healthier homes that supports diverse households, uh, allowing for intergenerational. Also provide, provide an effective planning. We wanted also apartments that are, attract, uh, that are attractive and desirable. Uh, by providing flexible living areas and, and, and natural light and, and ventilation. So we are very proud that uh, the comp from the competition, the, the project was very consistent in having that all apartments that have cross ventilation and daylight, and in some cases exceeding the minimum requirements for the apartment design guideline. We are providing uh, comfortable homes that are good for people, good for the planning, with sustainability, with sustainability strategies that had been integrated. And also that connection between people and, and nature in these urban settings, thinking about the journey of 
uh, user coming from the street to the dwelling and being enhanced and surrounded by landscaped elements. Um, so this is our model. Um, now I'm going to hand over to my colleague, Angelica. Oh, thank you, everyone, for being here. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm Angelica Rojas, and I'm the co-director of Design. So for the competition, uh, from the, com the process from competition to refine exemplars included, it's a, it was an iterative process with lots of people involved. And it involved additional requirements, such as an uplift of 15% more net sellable area, targets within a set of planning requirements that were being prepared at the same time of this refinement taking place. A pandemic hit the world, and then we needed to be prepared to have working from a show of one-to-one -to, -one to accommodate. It involved more um, refinement in terms of the implication of having a sightless approach, uh, including how to respond to an existing lower density, so carefully preparing how they responsive to the interface and different orientations. So this is how the courtyard looks like. I'm not going to speak a lot of that in the exemplars and the welcoming threshold that integrate all those landscape elements that Marco mentioned. And the stairs that really were um, thought about how in each of the exemplars, how these stairs that have to, have, have to be there can encourage those spontaneous encounters that create communities. It was a lot of attention to the landscape areas, mixing communal and productive gardens, and making sure that all the gardens are easy easily accessible and easy to maintain. And bringing also the balconies as part and the role of balconies and private open space in green in our cities. The strategy for materiality involved that upper levels are lower cost and lower levels have much more tactile and textured spaces. Um, the window placement was very important because in, um, it included um, stimulating passive surveillance, but also making sure that people have access to light and also minimizing overlooking. This is how the north-south exemplar looks like. This is how it looks like in plants. So you can see the courtyard in the middle, the threshold and the stairs together, and how the apartments face the street. Um, this, is this is the same project, but this is east-west and then a North Faithful in orientations. We happily report that all those principles that Marco was mentioning were embedded into the exemplars and it kind of, the, the process kind of reaffirmed the boldness of the project that was presented through the design competition. We place a lot of attention in the design of the apartments. So most of the designers that were involved here come through not only architectural experience, but we have living apartments most of our lives. And this project has like an area, the social areas being a little bit, the living areas thought about social areas and the living space is a little bit more private, the bedrooms, and in the middle, something that separates. So you use bathrooms and things like services to create that buffer. So imagine like a mom um, in the middle of, in, in this, studio, preparing a presentation for the next day, the dad cooking and watching the kids or, uh, doing the homework. Things like that can happen in parallel. The key learnings of the process, I will say first, 
And one of the key learnings, and I would like to really congratulate Future Homes for doing open design competitions that are anonymous, so that you can really encourage innovation and provide the opportunities to more thinkers to contribute to Australian design and good design outcomes. The second was timely feedback. And I think that is very important. These design competitions compared with others that we have participated have feedback before the end product. And that meant that we were able to integrate people involved and we want to encourage continue doing that because it meant a lot through the process. And the third one is the iterative, iterative design and planning feedback loops. So this project involved that planning was informed by design and design was tested, was testing planning. And that iterative feedback loop is what makes Future Homes not only an innovative project, but also a um, very comprehensive design solution and housing solution um, for the future. I'm going to escape this just because Marco talked about adaptation. And I go to what are the enablers for these projects to happen? So one is design and planning, which is what this Future Homes program is. Finance and legal systems that encourage this type of products are really, really important to make these projects hit the ground and we can see these future homes projects all in the suburbs. New and existing communities that will live here. And we're all about co-creative co-creating, thriving, and shared futures. So this project is exactly that. It's an innovation available now. Um, it's medium density model, creating comfortable homes. It's enriching established suburbs, and it has all the ETs, inclusivity, livability, accessibility, viability, and sustainability. And with, that's why we think these projects are fostering communities. Thank you. Um, thank you, Angelica and Marcos. Um, our, next, our next team up, McGregor Westlake Architects and Throng Number. Oh, no. Andre uh, Voice Trell and uh, Lisa Garner up next. Hello. Hello. Just trying to, how do I juggle this? Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm Andre and this is Lisa from Leon. Uh, we're based in Melbourne. Our future homes designs uh, attempt to provide a wider diversity of households with the equivalent advantages of the suburban family home by maximising private amenity through generosity of space, providing abundant natural light and seamless connections to large private open spaces. In order to achieve this generosity of space, key features that we have pursued in the internal unit planning include the volumetric addition of voids and raised ceilings, creating a more expansive sense of space, bringing winter light deep into the interior, offering plenty of room for bikes, surfboards, and space to grow. Through dual aspect floor plans, for passage of light and air with multiple outlooks for greenery, allowing for shifting occupation throughout the day. Seamless connection from the living area to a large north-facing private outdoor space situated on the ground floor, um, ground floor as a garden or on the top floor as a terrace open to the sky. So translating 
our vision begins at the site scale. Um, where the building massing prioritizes northern aspect and solar gains to living spaces and private outdoor spaces. This is achieved through the formation of two building masses, a north and south building, separated by a large linear central communal garden. For the northern building, double-storey maisonette-style units are arranged side by side with dual access from the south-facing entry door and a north-facing um, private verandas and gardens. Stacked above are single-storey units featuring north-facing terraces accessed through living spaces with views to the sky and horizon. To the southern volume, three-storey townhouses are arranged above car stackers with north-facing living dining spaces that open out onto private terraces. And bedrooms, bathrooms, and flexible rooms are below. In a basement scenario, the South Building adopts an alternative configuration to take advantage of east-west outlooks and also um, make better use of the perimeter garden space. The east-west scenario, the building is rotated to retain ideal solar orientation. So our decision to um, maximise private amenity has also been balanced by a very careful consideration of the shared space in between the buildings. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hello? Yeah. Um, so there are three distinct um, yet connected shared spaces um, which all aspire to encourage a sense of community through the everyday rituals of arrival and departure. So the first area houses all of the communal facilities required for the everyday um, rituals of residence, such as bike parking, um, composting, productive garden and a waste area. And these are clustered along the pedestrian entry to really in encourage the incidental encounter um, and support kind of a daily rhythm of interaction. And this is connected to the central communal garden, which is really the heart of the site. Um, and this is really characterised by the landscape um, with native trees and low-lying vegetation and a meandering um, boardwalk that connects all of the individual entries at the ground floor. Um, and a sort of a consistent proportion of six metres to the central void um, was sort of decided to ensure adequate um, light and space for vegetation and, and for light to penetrate to the southern building. And that was sort of consistent across all of our three options. And this leads residents to um, the communal walkways and a sculptural um, lift combined with a stair, um, which is sort of continuing the experience of the garden to the upper levels. And vertical greenery is sort of supported through a lattice to the lift and planters on the walkways. Um, and even though this area, um, it's always been still a sense of delight to the um, entry of your apartment. And just that view um, from the walkways at the upper level, there's sort of a sense of, of outlook um, to the horizon. Um, in terms of siding as well, the car parking has sort of been deprioritised and concentrated to the southernmost area of the site um, and there is an arbour um, over the car park to kind of soften the interface to the neighbouring boundary and um, trees and vegetation 
um, and the garden that cuts through the driveway to kind of descale the car park and um, along the length of the boundary. Um, the kind of anatomy and expression of the building sort of aspires to simplicity and, and rationality and economy, and sort of um, trying to rely on the careful consideration of rhythm of the openings and exposing the structure and using elements like pergolas and shading to animate um, and articulate the building. And it's a very standard, standard sort of construction grid of 4.5 metres that's sort of consistent throughout the, sch the schemes, which um, not only allows sort of efficiency, but also um, can accommodate a whole range of different apartment types um, and configurations to meet different um, project demographic briefs. Um, and the um, cladding we propose is a simple sort of galvanized metal, which are uh, materials. Um, and we've also deployed um, a kind of varying panel breaks of standard um, sheet sizes of 600 and 1200 to sort of reduce uh, material wastage, but also um, create a sense of, of rhythm um, along the facade. And sustainability um, and thermal comfort and neighborhood impact have always been um, important drivers of the design. Um, so alongside resource efficient systems and solar PV and rainwater harvesting. Um, our focus has really been on um, maximizing the passive performance of the design. So simply by um, really prioritizing the northern aspect of living spaces um, and through a moderate extent of glazing, we've, um, energy modeling has indicated that we've been quite easily been able to achieve the minimum um, NatHairs target of 7.5 stars um, with very standard um, forms of construction, so no high specifications for glazing or anything. Ooh. And at the neighbourhood scale, um, sort of large setbacks and connected deep um, soil zones really allow for mature trees to grow, which are uh, helping to minimise the urban heat island effect. Um, and in terms of the street frontage, um, it's always been really important for us to have street-facing private gardens, so kind of inspired by the suburbans and can create a kind of social street edge. And we've also kind of integrated elements like benches in the um, front fence and trees um, to kind of, yeah, support interaction with neighbours and um, blur the boundary, blur the lines of private and public realm. Um, just to touch on some learnings, uh, the post-competition development of the original vision um, was a really iterative process and um, we had to find 40% more area um, and it was really achieved just through rapid testing and dozens of redesigns. Um, but some key takeaways that we, I guess, can say are learnings were Really, given the uncertainty about who will be adapting and building the designs, um, locking in the amenity to the floor plan, uh, providing access, light and air look, 
at Outlook, those um, simple things that Jill mentioned earlier, where really reinforces the priority of the whole project and the, of our aspects moving forward, or of our work moving forward. Dealing with repetition as a theme, um, the importance of repetition is continually reinforced as a necessity of viability through design, through to construction, and the most innovative sort of sustainable construction methodologies really come into their own through repetition. So the question sort of remains for architects, uh, what's the best balance of repetition? And then also of shading devices within the Australian context and dealing with each orientation uh, has major benefits for residents and reducing reliance on air conditioning, but then also is a major risk for developers to pull out through construction phases down the track. So it's something that uh, I think we'll keep having to innovate on in the future. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa and Andre. I... Uh I always, I always thought that eight minutes might be a bit of a struggle, but we'll see how we go. Um, next up, uh, we do have Peter McGregor from McGregor Westlake Architects. Please welcome him. Hello, is this working? Can you hear me? Oh, thank you. Uh, so, Andrew, will you give me two-minute warning when I'm up to six minutes. So uh, I kind of get the impression I've got to pace myself. Uh, okay, so um, this is the first page of the first competition and um, it states clearly uh, what our obsession was really, I guess, throughout the whole process. Um, the permanent landscape. This was an idea we adapted from a kind of cult legend architect in Sydney, Peter Myers who talked about this 20 years ago. Uh, he talked about the importance in the, in the middle ring suburbs of Sydney. Uh, it's the backyards and the trees that are important and the, and the buildings can come and go. And so we took this idea uh, and we wanted a, an urban framework to kind of um, uh, help us cite the architecture, if you like. And so we took this idea and we adapted it to the, what we call the five stripes or you could say uh, uh, the five stripes are the, the first stripe is the nature strip in the front garden, the next two stripes are the, is, are the houses, and then the next two stripes are the backyards, with the fourth stripe being a hybrid sometimes between backyard and uh, house. And so um, we, we tested this idea on the middle ring suburbs of Melbourne as well, and you can see it came up really well, it tested really well, and all the big trees are in the backyard. So. What we wanted to do was make sure our building as much as possible would, would preserve this legacy of landscape and, in, and in enable it to grow further. Uh, so you can see in the first um, plans, um, we're obviously we're interested in uh, street engagement, amenity, north facing, on the left hand side adaptability, but we were obsessed um, by this need to ma maximise the backyard. Uh, you can see that again here. Uh, and, and then it, the, the last page of the um, first stage, we were able to uh, present something out of the brief. We put four stories up, and that was a discussion throughout the process, but it slowly um, was just difficult in the planning framework, and we, and we had to let that go. Okay, this is stage two, and we got a real site this time. The, the, um, the site tested 
Um, well, in part for this um, concept of the five stripes differences, and we, it had what lock virus uh, at the height of COVID. We talked about this footprint virus, and you can see there that there's, there's not much greenery. And we developed this matrix of our framework greenery um, in a city founded on a grid. We 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 um, developed our grid, and it became a bit more like a tartan because we also put in the side setbacks and the circulation. We also wanted to explore uh, and show how things could grow and develop. And, and also, sorry, also if possible, have a public benefit. Again, uh, what was really important was um, we consolidated our footprint. So we, we put the car parking under the building. So there's no car parking going up the side. Um, everything is consolidated. Uh, again, um, the circulation is also um, uh, uh, um, open and airy and, and um, looking at the landscape. Uh, in, in, this is stage two, and in stage two with the above ground scheme, the, the landscape is two-tiered um, because of the, the car parking at the back. Uh, and, and then, but the car parking at the back, you can see with a little yellow cube there, there's this idea of above ground parking having this adaptive um, reuse potential. We, of course, we also, we also looked at uh, construction and modularity. Uh, we also did quite a bit of work on carbon intensity. We compared this building, which was predominantly lightweight construction, to uh, Department of Housing building we were doing in Sydney, uh, which was standard construction, and it was quite a black, the, the amazing this new construction. Uh, we're also very interested in the relationship to the street, these balconies to the street, and you can see the lightweight construction with the fire-rated slab over the above-ground scheme. How am I going for time? Three minutes. Three minutes. Okay, I'll be fast. And so... Um, uh, and then this was about um, planning. Obviously, we're very interested in amenity and the way the living areas open onto the terraces, minimising circulation within the within the building. Um, uh, bedrooms often looking to reflective spaces. Okay, and then um, we went into the third stage and it was an ordeal by fire. <laughs> um, the density almost felt like it doubled and um, we were under a lot of pressure. Uh, and so what we did was we, we reconfigured our circulation and we turned it at a right angle and we, it kind of bifurcated two, two forms. You can see it in the middle there. Uh, and we, we, we still had this idea of the circulation being open and airy and, and front doors being a bit like a Dublin or London kind of, you know, uh, painting of, 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 of um, entry. Uh, we, we still managed to keep the car parking in the above ground and in the basement scheme consolidated. We ended up still, we still got 35% deep soil, 41% of garden. So um, uh, we were still hitting our benchmarks. The, the backyard was not as big as we'd like it to be, but then we thought that the front setback, which is between five, it's articulated between five and seven metres, well, we thought that could have been smaller. And, that, and, that, and that's an ongoing discussion potentially. But essentially the bill are below ground in, in terms of, there's threes, twos and ones there. Um, the numbers, uh, I, I've already mentioned them, 35% deep soil, 41% garden. Um, we, we almost double, I think we went 180% more uh, efficient, well not efficient, but uh, more housing compared to stage two. Um, that it, it's interesting to compare a 
above ground to below ground, the basement scheme versus the above ground. Um, it's interesting to speculate what might be more viable. Um, the, the, the section, um, you can see that the circulation was always this idea of something different, more public, more the common circulation as opposed to the balconies which are a little bit more private as, as they overlook the street. Uh, it's interesting, the, the, um, yeah, again, the basement scheme, is it more viable than the above ground scheme? Well, that remains to be seen. Uh, and then the elevations, uh, we, you know, there was this idea of the ground floor like a plinth of recycled materials from the demolished houses supporting the two typical plans above. Uh, and then just some um, images of the final form, this, this solid corner, articulated solid corner, which frames the balconies which step back and step out. So they kind of feel a little bit more room-like. Uh, and then this landscape quality to them. The, the east-west scheme where you can see the circulation from the street. And then just to show uh, the potential in Simpleman scheme. And then this was um, possibly open for criticism, our Claris Beckett scheme <laughs> uh, with some tonal uh, quality. But at the end of the day, um, for us, what's important is, you know, in this challenging environmental time is, the, is this macro landscape planning within which the architecture uh, is frameworked. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. So, I should say that um, uh, there's a lot to take in very quickly in these um, speed dating kind of scenarios. So um, I should say that uh, on the Future Homes website, uh, not all of the material you see here, but a lot of the material will be there and more material will be populated. So um, if, you, if this is uh, piquing your interest, then certainly go to the website as well to see what you can find there. Last up, we have Felipe uh, Alaya and Alex Sarmiento from Spiral. Thank you very much. Uh, Hello, my name is uh, Felipe. Um, hello. hello. Uh, my name is Alex. Uh, we are from Spiral Architects Lab. Um, uh, we, will take to, we would like to take the time to acknowledge the original uh, inhabitants and elders past of present of Eastern Kalin land we stand on today. Um, we were, um, we, when we entered the, the future uh, homes competition, front and center of our minds was just all the ch uh, challenges that we uh, have faced for the past 15 um, uh, blocks. Um, the Bauhaus theories on how the apartment buildings can be used to create social cohesion hold true, but um, have yet to be applied on a scale. The pressure to maximize net, net uh, sellable area, that's NSA for everyone, means that the build of private spaces take priority over um, communal spaces and the high amenity uh, features. Often, architects compromise on our approach to build more resilient communities um, as we bow under the weight of the almighty NSA. Um, so for the architects and the urban planner, the battle is uh, real. So how might we simultaneously satisfy the, the profit motive and the need for higher, higher quality amenities and a zero carbon uh, future? 
So our focus for today is to unpack um, designs, um, sorry, uh, to unpack the systems thinking approach to architecture. So um, and its power to leverage technology to answer some of the more pressing questions when it comes to design apartments. Um, we will like to share um, some of the uh, difficulties that we have when, when um, uh, deploying this vision into a developer-led market and earnings and how to navigate. We came to a number of uh, realizations through the competition. Uh, first, um, that great design uh, must meet challenges uh, of uh, densification in a, way, in a way that is affordable uh, for everyone. Uh, secondly, the denser the community, the more complex the impact of the build is. Apartment blocks uh, build and radiate their own cultural systems. Um, so future-proof apartments need to consider how to build integration along connections, drive social mobility and zero-carbon future. Thirdly, as uh, architects and urban planners, we need to make um, sure that we have a voice in the future of artificial intelligence, uh, AI. How might we um, get humans and machines to collaborate in a more uh, scalable and adaptable way? Um, we were inspired by the works of uh, a contemporary thinker, uh, Brad Frost, this book is particularly help, particularly help, help us uh, to rethink modular architecture. Mr. Frost uh, pulled complex digital environments all the way down to the atomic components. These were redefined um, into atomic, little atomic components. These were redefined to be highly replicable and in really hard to say. So, um, because all of the sudden, when you build the right atom, you, you can time and time um, again build the right organism. This is a complex grouping of atoms that uh, adapt to meet the needs of their environment, which in uh, Brad's world might be like a website or uh, a computer game, um, but apply those uh, same principles to our world and you will change the live experience in this immensely uh, scalable way. All right. So based on that, we build the atomic architecture design system. So um, the, this um, um, system can take in, based on, on his atoms, when we when we stack them together, we can respond to the unique characteristics of any particular site. Um, as we went along from the original vision to the ready-to-build exemplars, uh, we were very happy to, we were very pleased to see that the, the system holds can, its integrity. Can you keep it up? Sorry. <laughs> so that the system holds its integrity. In the final stages of the design, we were met with 
market pressures to come um, from 10 apartments, similar lot size. Um, for, for, the, for the general amenity of the apartments, that, that wasn't an issue. We, we retained the, the design and the high quality that we had. But for the um, communal areas, it means that we have to um, um, be to, to they became more crafted, interconnected uh, pockets that with uh, green walls and other strategies to retain their, their characteristics. The, flex, the flexibility of the system comes from atoms that evolve into modules that evolve into clusters. And when clusters are put together in, into a site, they give character to the specific site. Um, yeah, next. So this, this flexibility uh, carries on. on uh, we are able to use different ma materials. Um, the system can take in any particular type of clarin, cladding. And the, um, the load-bearing characteristics of the system allow it to uh, be built in any type of construction from cross-laminated timber, CLT, to concrete. Yeah. So, the, so this is how the system um, can respond to unique matter and a The, the system uses strategies like displacements to create uh, spaces, uh, uh, green spaces on the ground floor that are interconnected with the apartments. So that way you end up with very lofty interiors. Uh, what's fascinating about this approach is not only that it can shift uh, um, mass production into something that is highly uh, customizable, to place, and um, not only that it opens up cost-effective, low-carbon production through prefabrication, um, is that it also gets us ready for um, AI future. The, the, the same building block that um, underpin our manual human-led atomic architecture uh, system is the logical structure that a machine needs to learn um, about its environment. AI-driven companies like Archistar in, in Australia and Cover in the US have proven the value of um, artificial intelligence in, in architecture. Um, through um, AI, um, they've turned a month-long process um, into a 10-minute uh, analysis. This is changing the traditional workflow of our, of our industry. However, they are done uh, with a develop, developer-first mentality, which architects and urban um, AI-led developments are also creating resilient communities. Our system endeavors to, to do this by structuring this best practice into data sets that a machine can, can just learn from. Um, a really robust um, future for our industry uh, will be one where the, um, the humans can stop uh, 
doing repetitive tasks that the AI can take on and enable us to spend more time in solving the pressing dilemmas of placemaking and uh, community resilience. This means things, for example, like uh, um, setback controls, deep soil ratios, uh, verifying the cross-ventilation of a site. Those are tasks that uh, an AI can take on. And like, currently, an architect probably spends 40% of its time researching and, and uh, solving these elements of the design. So, So imagine if the possibilities that are, if we as an architects uh, could take that time to solve more complex dilemmas of placemaking, like we could, we could um, collaborate with uh, regional experts on socioeconomical needs or we're going to spend time on low-carbon technology into the... Um, the great challenge of our industry is that it is a very conservative uh, um, industry, that is nature. Even with approved benefits of low-cost low to get a scale adoption, you need to be able to point the real bills in the real world uh, of your exact solution. Um, navigating developer buy-in is the biggest upfront challenge. Otherwise, the system will be informed by the past rather than open up to the possibilities of the future. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Can I ask the four teams to join us up here and also joining them, uh, Jill Garner and Matthew Borg from uh, the Government Architects Office. We'll have um, a few minutes of conversation. Um, we are due out of here about half past, so we've got about 15 minutes. Um, and so we'll get through as much as we can in that time. Um, are we all good? Almost. Uh, while we're sorting out mics, I guess I'll, I'll um, introduce the first question. Uh, the, the, um, the, clearly, one of the things that everyone's talked about this evening, and certainly all the teams have talked about um, and partners have talked about since the start of this project, uh, is that crusty problem of viability. And it was interesting at the beginning of this whole process, and I should have mentioned at the beginning, uh, City Lab, which I work with, um, assisted the, the design competition and the early stage of brief development. Uh, we engaged uh, SGS Economics and Planning to talk about what might be possible in this competition compared to business as usual. Um, one of the interesting conundrums was that we don't have anything or to which makes it difficult to work out what the value of that future design might be. So rather than immediately rushing to where, where was your best cost saving, um, I thought I might ask the question around rather where was your best value finding in the process? That is to say, when you look at the market and you look at what's out there in this process that you've followed, and this is just for you four guys initially, um, you know, what are the moments where you thought this is value that can add to the to the meter rate in sales that can that can buy us more that we can do. So just to just to pull away from the moment from cost cutting, where is the value adding from each of your perspective? You can as succinct as you can be. Starting with you, Angelica. Okay. Um, thank you, Andrew. I think the value adding is in we are in a climate emergency once. And we need to connect. We're we're social animals. <laughs> mm -hmm. So we need to provide places where we can actually connect 
And if we choose to be private, it's a choice, not a... So the suburbs are not providing that. You don't connect when you walk around. And I feel that's the value that I feel our, our project, and I guess all the other projects that, is to provide those connections that are easy and spontaneous, one. And secondly, to respond to the climate emergency that is now, so that we embed the nature within those within the projects as second nature. You know, in this country, climate change has been volatilized too much. We need to make it more, um, and I feel these designs are doing. Obviously, you talk quite a lot about modularity and about AI, and you can talk. We've been talking for decades about the efficiency that can come with modularity. Are there value adds? Are there ways that you can make apartments better, that make them more marketable, make people want to live in apartments more because of that, do you think? Yes, thank, thanks, Andrew. Yeah, yeah, definitely, I think that modularity is something that um, can bring a lot of value in, in two ways. Like, um, I think one of the important things that people forget about modularity is that it can it can lower the cost for for the for the developers, and and I think, well, back to your first question, I think in our project we, wh what we really want to do is to like, um, for the architects to be. To, to regain that space at, at the table, mm -hmm. where where these developments are happening, because at the moment, we are not being invited, or if we're being invited, we are just one of many consultants. So we, we need to regain that position where, where we have more influence. And I think if you bring a product, like a modular system, into a, into a conversation where the developer sees like, oh well, if I adopt your system, I have already the, the designs uh, with me. So I just need to repeat it. And you, as the architect, can be the conductor that creates these spaces for me. So uh, for, uh, for us is the, the value of, if, if we create a maximization, otherwise we don't make an impact because we just keep being the architects doing nice houses in the rich suburbs, but you know that doesn't have an influence in sure. the population in general. Sure, thank you very much. Lisa, you, your, your team, yourself and Andre, um, obviously you, you um, have got the commission out of working with Homes Victoria, so that question of adding value is a very concrete one. Um, so that, that transition from the competition design from stage two into three and now into this, this, this kind of uh, this project that you're working on, where would you say you've been able to hold on? We've all seen lots of, everyone's had to make sacrifices and everyone's tried to hold on to bits of their DNA. For you, what's the kind of the most important bit of DNA in your design that you've been able to hold on into the, uh, the Homes Victoria uh, Commission? Um, yeah, it's a good question because um, one of um, the most major aspects of our design, which was the generosity of space and volume through the double height voids, sort of immediately had to be cut from the design brief for the um, <laughs> for the demonstration project as a requirement um, of the brief. Um, but we were still able to retain um, sort of generous ceiling heights and the northern aspect and that direct um, connection to outdoor space, um, which I think. Um, was equally important in the design. And we've also been able to retain um, that sort of raised communal bridge and the circulation is a really special space. 
which I think will be really important for the community, even in the social housing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. very good. Peter, you're obviously from Sydney, and Sydney's been building apartments for a lot of on us in terms of how it's race competition and your design that you were able to explore uh, some values in what you were doing in the, in the project that um, that might have kind of been a bit more than you would otherwise expect to do in, in, in a SEP 65 or not? Um, uh, <clears throat> can I just be a bit political to begin with and just not answer your question <laughs> and, and, and just say that to, to the comments you made in the beginning, mm. um, I actually think there's no problem, you know, with this blue sky idea and the competition and then, you know, the whip comes out um, when you get through past stage two. Yeah. I kind of think like that's kind of normal developer behaviour. And so in a way, I think it was good to have the opportunity to develop an idea and then to test the idea. So, yep. so in a sense, I, I was, I was going to say there's nothing really new there. And, and the same with the type. To me, there's nothing really new with the type on, in a way because it's a three-storey walk-up and they're all over, you know, St Kilda or Bondi or, mm -hmm. you know, all over these cities. And um, I think what's new for me anyway um, is trying to get this type into the suburbs Mm -hmm. in, into these uh, residential areas, and it's the it's the struggle to change single dwellings into multiple dwellings, and that's a big political issue, and that's the kind of hero um, for me, you know, the hero kind of line of the competition, which is what they're trying to do, which is what people are trying to do in Sydney, and you know, this missing middle is still missing, and it's actually, you know, in that sense, to me, is actually. Does that answer your question? <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess, Peter, that, that was kind of why I wanted to start off and lead off with what, what brings the market to something in a way. Because yeah. what we do know, and, 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 and I forgive me if I say anything inappropriate um, here this evening, but what we do know is that our politics in any state doesn't tend to lead this stuff. No. What tends to happen is the market is supposedly, you know, you, someone whispers to find out what the market wants and then a real estate agent changes it into two bathrooms. Um, so we have a situation where we're being led by the market. And yeah. so the question is, what are the kind of design moves you can make that can add value, which we well, almost forget about the state. Well, actually, just going back to something Jill was talking about when she was speaking, we, we have colleagues uh, in Sydney, you know them, Hill Thallus. They've actually, and we've done some buildings with them, and they've been doing questionnaires, um, just getting some feedback back now. They've been getting putting questionnaires out to the apartment uh, dwellers of, of the various apartments that they've done and we've done. Yeah. And one of the things, Jill, that was, like, big was light, Another one was space. Uh, almost, I think, the biggest one was balcony. And so, um, like in Sydney, the tyranny is the view, you know, like, and that was not that big. Um, an interesting balcony, which I think is a fundamental, really interesting room, this space between inside and outside, often overlooking the street. I, I just thought that was fascinating. That was actually the biggest word in, in the graphs that they had done based on the feedback. Yeah, yeah. So I think, you know, you can ignore a lot of what the stuff real estate agents say. You know, they're just trying to make their job easy. Yeah. Jill, I wanted to ask you a question about, because uh, essentially this is a, an apartment. Uh, you, like me, have probably been w watching cities, um, you know, for a few decades and, and seeing changes take place 
where, you know, as little as 20 or 10 years ago, you would never have seen certain things happening. From your perspective, uh, what, is the, what is the changing mood in relation to apartments? What are the kind of things that are driving a change or that we hope will drive a change where apartment design and apartment living will become more generally acceptable and not just for inner city professionals or students? Um, I think behind the whole concept of this Future Homes competition, um, Peter pinned it down in, at, at, by saying, we've been doing it for decades, but we've had a bit of a gap. Well, let's say we, we've been doing it in, our, in the early decades of, the, of the, our last century, and Melbourne did it really well. And I, I guess I sometimes think I suffer from living in St Kilda, where I am surrounded by three-storey walk-ups that are really special, really great, really interesting, and, and a lot of people love living in them. And I suppose I've never quite understood why that type came to a, a halt in Melbourne mm. and why it seems limited to a very few number of suburbs in Melbourne and they're... They tend to be the suburbs that the architects were extremely active in, in building in and they, they are interesting places. They're interesting places to live. They're interesting buildings. And they also represent... But they're also extraordinarily treed. And there's a lot of planting. There's a limited, limited heat island. Um, mm. They're great suburbs to live in. And I think what worried me some time ago is watching the rollout, and Peter actually put this in his, one of his commentaries, the rollout of the uh, 10 units on one site rather than a three-storey apartment building on one site because what comes with the unit model is no garden, 10 cars on one site, um, no deep planting, one-storey, and a sort of a spread of something that changes the, the nature of our suburbs. And so what is the answer? How do we get back to being, you know, a suburb like, like St Kilda, which is one of Melbourne's 10 most dense suburbs? Like it's right up there in comparison to our, that leaping to the high-rise model, which we somehow went from the single house on a single site to a high-rise. And somehow over the past 50 years, we haven't really approached the idea of the, uh, the walk-up in a really intelligent and innovative design way. And I do, I, I think we really felt strongly there's a big gap in places where, where we, we really genuinely think there's, there's a, a demand for these kind of places where, you know, talking about community... Um, shared outdoor spaces where the the limited number of communities, 14 homes, live on that and share facilities, can share garden space, can share outdoor space. So the real uh, growth of a community is possible on a site like that. So it, it's it's that kind of, I guess the that missing middle we talk about represents what we so enthusiastically built in Melbourne when we discovered the car. Yeah, yeah. And... and Probably what I'm referring to is a time that predated the car and we lived on public transport routes and we lived more densely. But in fact, we still love that and I'm not sure what happened to it. So we're kind of interested in yeah, yeah. reclaiming it. 
possibly yeah. has some maybe, relationship maybe, to local government I, as well. Yeah. yeah. Can I say something about sure. that? Yeah. yeah. Because um, obviously I'm not from Australia, so <laughs> um, I noticed that in Australia um, um, the the apartments are not a destination as an individual or as a family. The apartments are a step before you can buy the house. Yeah. So if you don't see, if, if the people that sell the apartments and the people that buy the apartments don't see the apartments as a place to live and grow a family, well, obviously, no one is, they disappear. They, 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 the amenity doesn't need to be there because no one is going to be there for a long time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And but by, I, what Jill is saying, I, I, I haven't seen it in the, in the books. When I look at the, uh, what happened in the 60s, 70s in Australia, in Canberra, in, in other places, there was that intention of making, yes, I don't know what happened. And that's, <laughs> uh, uh, Nightingale and Assemble and others that are really investing in the idea of uh, owner-occupiers and the community you grow around there. I, I don't want to finish up before uh, bringing Matt into the, into the conversation. Um, you, you, in some ways, you were the kind of whip-bringer. You had to sort of like sit with the, with the teams and work out how do we get you know, greater density on each on the on the block. How do we bring down the costs, etc.? But of course, also you are a, a, an architect who wants to see what the best design you can get out of this kind of like uh, this opportunity. From your perspective, what are some of the qualities in the in the in the final uh, designs that we have in front of us that you that you're proud that we've been able to hold on to in terms of like some of the things that are a bit different from business as usual. From you we walk into your average apartment. What are some of the things you're, you're kind of happy that we've been able to hold on to? Sure. I think for us, a real focus was on health and well-being. And so what that really meant was making everything work twice as hard or three times as hard as it, as it normally would in a business-as-usual sort of development. So rather than just striving for minimum compliance, is the placement of the window did multiple things. It was somewhere to sit or somewhere to look at or somewhere to appreciate nat nat nature, not just allowing a bit bare minimum amount of light or ventilation in. So um, I think you'll see, and all the schemes do different things, but um, you know, some make the building envelope work really hard. I think what you'll see across all of the schemes, which is, which is a real challenge for us, was a real high sort of facade and wall to floor area ratio, which was a, which was a real viability challenge, um, which is what we don't deliver. And I think sort of as we opened up greenfield suburbs, really large houses, and have a garden and we could build them in the suburbs. And so it made the apartment building look really unattractive. Also, our building code has changed over time. There was a point in time when you had to provide natural ventilation to a bathroom. So those walk-ups that Jill is referring to were almost a, a product of the code at the time. And when those codes shifted, somewhere in the 80s maybe it was, um, we lost sight of what amenity was, I think, in apartments. And it became an even less ideal um, alternative. But I think what we managed to achieve in um, each of the exemplars is a sense of community, um, a real a, a garden setting. That was a real number one thing for us, was really um, having that connection to nature throughout the site. And, and that's mutually beneficial, so for the neighbours as well as the occupants on the site. So really making sure the interfaces worked really hard. Um, we really, you know, we avoided blank facades or 
overuse or over-reliance on overlooking screens. So, um, yeah, it, and it was a real challenge. It was a really iterative process that took a lot longer than we expected, to be honest. Yeah. Um, and because we went through a competition process, different schemes had different challenges. I think some of the statistics we saw, some had to find 15% more floor area, some had to find 40% more floor area. <laughs> so um, it was really about what was the, the core principles and really holding on to those. Um, and it was great that the OVGA has a team of skilled architects and we could support the designers yep. um, in achieving that. Super, super. We're kind of out of time, and I appreciate that uh, people want to move on to dinners, etc. I do sort of always hate the situation where you can't at the last minute. Is there one burning question? <laughs> or... Or shall I wind up? Maybe that's better. Maybe, maybe they. they Can they... I ask them? Oh, oh sorry, yes. <laughs> you give the opportunity, right? Yeah. Um, is there any plan for a financial model that will kind of make these four projects a pilot somewhere? Like we need to see them, and the community needs to see them. That's a damn good question because it's in my notes right here, and um, <laughs> and uh, and I'm going to read them because otherwise I will get wrong and I'll commit the government to five thousand new apartments. Um, <laughs> So <laughs> I will wrap up. Um, so over the last 12 months, the Department of Environment, Land, Water and Planning and the Victorian Office of the Victorian Government Architect have been working together on an approach to implement the four exemplar design three planning. This will lead to a new streamlined planning process that will incentivize the delivery of high quality apartment developments using the designs. While there'll be no guarantees if the plans are adapted correctly using the guidance and assistance that will be provided, the new approach will provide more certainty to applicants and could result in a big change to planning permit timeframes. That is, if an adaptation is done well, planning timelines could be half of what are currently experienced by applicants. And it has to be said, one of the early bit of analysis that SGS Economics did was the uncertainty and the, the, the time it takes and the holding costs associated with delivering apartments is a really significant uh, disincentive compared to townhouses. So this is, I think, quite an important thing. DELP is working towards implementing the new future homes process and planning provision later this year through a pilot program. Initially, we'll be undertaking some targeted industry designers and the local community in the pilot kind areas. Get in contact with Future Homes, uh, the, the Future Homes team at DELP through the Future Homes website, uh, which is not here, but I'm sure it's dot, 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 something Future Homes. Uh, Google will help you. Um, uh, so that is what's planned. There's, the, there's definitely um, an afterlife here, and, um, and I'm glad to see that um, that we will be seeing something coming out of these exemplar designs in the, in the years ahead. I think we all know that um, there's financial and there's political and there's local government. There's a whole heap, heap of things that make this, um, this uh, difficult challenge, but I think we've got to a, a good state here. So with that, I'll thank you all for coming this evening. I'd like to thank all our speakers. I'd like to thank OVGA and DELP for all their, their, their diligence and certainly the four teams for a huge, huge effort over the last two years. And thank you again for coming tonight. You're listening to an M Pavilion podcast. Conversations about design and the world we live in. For more, visit our archive at mpavilion.org and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts.